Have you ever been to a carnival game, that, like a carnival where they have the, the different games, and if you're really good, uh, you can throw a softball and hit some milk bottles and knock them over? Uh, or if you are really good at shooting hoops, you might think, man, if I just shoot hoops uh, at this extra high, extra small uh, basket, then I will win a prize. Uh, there's, there's one game, though, that really is about skill more than anything else, and, and it's the, the ladder game. Have you seen that? The, the conte- what the contestants do is they have to climb this ladder, and it sounds like it's not that hard, except the ladder is attached at the top and the bottom by just a single point in the center. Okay, so it's a little bit like climbing a tightrope, uh, because you only have that one center point of gravity, uh, except that it's a ladder, and so your arms and legs are spread out, and so the, the key is you have to keep your center of gravity balanced right over dead center as though you were on a tightrope while moving the hands and the feet simultaneously and keeping all of the weight even, hands and feet together. So all four points, thinking about that in unison, because if we get too heavy on one side or the other, then the whole thing just flips over and you, you fall up, down and you lose. Okay? Now, I, I don't just tell you this because I'm interested in carnival games, but rather because uh, this morning we are going to have to do something like this. We're going to be looking at four Beatitudes this morning, and I, I want you to think about this as that carnival game where we have to keep our weight centered on the gospel and who Jesus is while, while we have our hands and our feet on these Beatitudes, and so we're going to keep our weight even because we're going to see we have two Beatitudes on one side and two Beatitudes on the other side, and we need to try and keep these things balanced, okay? So that, that's the, sort of the context that I want you to have as we think about uh, these Beatitudes that Jesus is teaching us about. Now, if you remember the context scripturally, is that Jesus has called his disciples together, and he said, I'm going to teach you something. He sees the crowds coming together, and so he sits down, and he's going to explain to them what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's going to explain to them what kind of people are in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to explain how you get into the kingdom of heaven and what it's like when you're there. And so he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking as we begin this about those who are blessed. We call them the Beatitudes, the people who are blessed to be in the kingdom. And so these were the people who were blessed last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And now we move on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This desire to do what is right, the desire that it shall be right. I want what is right. I think, I think this is not often my first desire, right? It's not often my primary desire. If I were to find a lamp and rub that lamp and a genie popped out and he said, I will give you one wish. What's the one thing that you want more than anything else? My first thought is not righteousness, righteousness. But as I was thinking about this and, and t- this week and thinking, why isn't that my first thought? 
Why isn't my first thought righteousness? I think it's because I don't consider righteousness enough. I don't consider the value of righteousness enough. Right? I think of like silver and gold, they have a lot of value. I understand having extra time, that has a lot of value to me. Have you thought about the value of righteousness? Why is righteousness valuable? If you're doing what is right, you don't have to worry about consequences, like negative consequences. If you just are always doing what is right all the time, then you don't have negative repercussions. You don't have anything to be embarrassed about. You don't have anything to be ashamed of because you have been doing what was right. And so people might say, hey, how come you did this? And you say, well, this is the why. Oh, that's the right thing to do. You would know without a shadow of doubt that you had done what was right. Can you even imagine that? Like when I think back about the negative emotions in my life, many, many of my negative emotions throughout my life are associated with dumb things that I have done or dumb things that I have said. And if I could just say, wait, I'm going to have righteousness, I'm going to do what is right, I wouldn't have those kinds of regrets. I wouldn't have that kind of embarrassment and I wouldn't have that kind of a, a, of shame that is associated with doing what is wrong because I am pursuing righteousness and I'm doing what is right. I, I think that actually this is of great value. And the more I reflected on it, the more I realized I do want that. I haven't really called it righteousness all the time. I often refer to it as integrity, right? Doing, doing the thing that I think is right, I, having integrity, in fact, one of the greatest compliments I ever got, I was working with um, an organization and, and uh, serving on that organization, and a non-Christian said, um, Travis, uh, the compass by which you operate in this world is remarkable. I think that's the greatest compliment a non-Christian could give me. That they would see in me, that is a person of integrity, and while I don't always agree with them, they, they seem to have this direction and this purpose, and, and that is consistent. And now, if, if my righteousness was actually good, because he, he doesn't, he only knows that one piece, right? This guy only knows that one context of my life where I was helping in that uh, context, in that place, they only know me there. You don't know me everywhere else. If I had the kind of righteousness that he actually thought I had or attributed to me in that great compliment, that would be remarkable. I would greatly appreciate that. Because I want what is right. So, sometimes, too, we find ourselves as Christians, do you ever find yourself looking at things and going, that is not right? That's not right. Maybe you see the way that your neighbors are behaving, and you go, that is not right. You see the way that a, a sibling is behaving, Pfft, that is not right. 
I'm very good at identifying not right in other people. I'm good at finding not right in the community. I'm good at finding not, not right in you. I'm good at finding not right in our country. I'm good at finding not right in my family. And then I look at me and go, oh, oof. there's a whole lot of not right there too. And I minimize it. I excuse it. But here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Those who desire, are hunger and thirst, they, they, they have this, um, this physical almost desire, this need for righteousness. Those who, who want it will be satisfied. Have you ever been really hungry or really thirsty? I may have told you this story before. I was really thirsty one time. Uh, my friend and I, we decided we were going to hike the Grand Canyon and um, we were 18 years old and not very smart. And so each of us had two quarts of water. The Grand Canyon is hot and long of a hike. And we hiked down. We had to get all the way to the bottom because we had to get more water down there because there's only water at the top and water at the bottom on the particular trail that we were taking. By the time we got out, we were so thirsty and so tired that we went back to the little lodge thing and we plopped ourselves in two easy chairs where the drinking fountain was right literally across the hall. It was like maybe that far away from me. And we just sat there and got up For like three hours, we were so thirsty. Maybe you ha you've had a time too where you were just really hungry. For whatever reason, you, you hadn't eaten and you didn't bring food and then you realized there's not going to be food. Maybe, maybe you got invited to something and you thought, well, you know, it's at noon. Surely they're going to offer lunch and then they don't offer lunch. And they expected that you would have eaten before you came, but you didn't eat before you came because you thought, I will come hungry and ready to eat the food that they provide for me that they didn't provide for me. And then three hours later, you are just so hungry. Do you have that desire for righteousness? Do you have that desire for righteousness to do what's right you want what is right. You want what is right in you. You want what is right in other people. You want what is right in the world. You just want it to be right. And it isn't. And so you are so hungry for righteousness. You're so thirsty for righteousness. Because you just want what is right. And what Jesus is saying is the people who are hungry and thirsty for the sake of righteousness... They are blessed because they will be satisfied. If that's what you want, you're going to be satisfied. Now, I, I want you to be careful about this. Because I have seen people that go, I, I just really want what's right. And they really, really want what's right out there. Passionately want what's right out there. And, and here's my caution about that. When you're really hungry, even if you see somebody else eat because they're doing what's right, it's very not quite as satisfying as you might think. 
right? If I'm really hungry and I watch you eat, I'm not satisfied. If I really want what's righteous and I see you being righteous, I'm glad for you that you're righteous. If I see the community following righteousness, I'm very glad for the community, but I want to be satisfied here. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. We're not talking just about justice in the world, though we do want that and pray for that, but that's God's thing to do. He's going to have to bring justice in the world. What I'm wanting is righteousness in my own heart, and I'm finding it to be lacking. But for those who want it, they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. Sometimes you might find yourself uh, in a place where you get distracted. Like you get into a project or, or you're doing something that's really fun and you forget to eat. Has that ever happened to you? You're just doing something and you're so caught up in what you're doing, you just forget to eat and you forget that you're hungry. Some of you are going, that has never happened to me. I never forget to eat. And here's what I want. I want that to be true of righteousness for you. That you never get distracted by something else so that you forget that you want righteousness. My, my hope for you is that you want righteousness so much that you will be blessed to have it and not be distracted by other things and go, well, I, would, I really like this other thing, right? Because those things that I might ask the genie for, those gains that I might get, those little, little blessings that I might have, if I pursue those things, I might forget about righteousness for a little while. I might say, oh, here's, a, here's an end that I would like to have, and the end is good, but the path to get to the end is maybe questionable. Let's not do questionable. Let's do, not do questionable. That's not satisfying. Let's not be distracted by those things and then justify the means by the ends. We're not going to do that because what we want is righteousness. We want to do what's right. We know that God has called us to do what is right, and so we want righteousness. We want righteousness in our hearts. We want righteousness in each other. We want righteousness in the community and in the world. We want what is right, and it starts here. Imagine. Imagine if we all did that. Imagine if you did what was right in every circumstance. And then we all did that. Imagine if everyone in the community did that. Can you even imagine that kind of righteousness? That everyone did what was right by everyone else? What a fantastic place to live. What a fantastic community to be a part of. Where we could, we could say, I trust you implicitly because I know that you will do what is right. What great trust we would have. But unfortunately, we don't live in that kind of a place. 
I hope that in this place we have that. I hope that in this place we can trust one another to do what is right and that each of us does have the individual righteousness enough that we can be trusted with those things. But as far as the community goes, as far as this world that we live in, we don't live in that kind of a place. There isn't that kind of righteousness. There are people who don't want it. There are many who have no idea what it is. You hand them a compass and say, okay, here's the compass, now do what's right. And they go, why is it pointing that way? What's this arrow for? Well, that's north. You can't know which way you're going unless you know which way north is. Sure I can. I just wander around until I find what I'm looking for. There's a lot of people like that. What are we going to do with that kind of a community? What are we going to do with that kind of a people? What are we going to do when people don't do what is right by us? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is, is um, treating people better than they deserve. Just based on the merits, just based on their actions, just based on their words, it's treating them better than what they deserve. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who do I have to be merciful to? You see, if, I, if I'm going to treat somebody better than they deserve, I want to know. I want to know, do they deserve it? If I'm going to treat somebody better than they deserve, I want to know if they deserve it or not. Which sounds like a conundrum, right? Except not in my mind. Because if I look at somebody who's in need, and I go, they don't deserve mercy, that's what I've done. They, I shouldn't treat them better than they deserve, because they don't deserve it. If somebody wrongs me and does something, I don't want to, I want to know, are they really repentant? I mean, I know that they did this thing that I didn't like, but I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to treat them better than they deserve unless they're really repentant for what they've done and they're trying to make up for it. Then I will show them my mercy. Then I will forgive them. If they apologize and I deem them sincere in their apology, then I will be merciful. Guess what? No longer merciful. It's no longer mercy. What we're saying is we need them to earn it. Well, they don't deserve it. Right. And as soon as they do, then I'll give it to them. That's what we want. Why is that? Because we want what's right. We want what's right. We want justice. We want what's right in them and we want what's right in us and we want it to be fair. We want it to be right. Didn't you just say, Travis, like we had this hand right here, boom, righteousness. 
and I want what's right. And now you're telling me mercy. Yep. Both of them. If we plant one hand and we go, I just want what's right on the world, we're going to roll right over and fall down. Same thing's true the other way. If we just go, we just want mercy in the world with no righteousness, whoop, we're going to fall over the other way. We have to be planted squarely in between. Not as though there's some sort of happy medium between righteousness and mercy, but recognizing that we ourselves are not righteous and need mercy. And so what happens is we are stuck right here in the center on Jesus, who is perfectly righteous and also merciful. And we have to stay centered right on Him, desiring the righteousness, not actually being righteous, mind you, but desiring the righteous. And being merciful because Jesus had said, you don't deserve what I have to offer you. You are not righteous. You don't deserve it. And yet, I am going to be merciful to you. And so we go, well, uh, okay, Jesus, how about, if I, um, how about if I repent really hard? Then will I deserve it? N- no. What if I do lots of good things? What if I do more good things than I have done bad things? No, still don't deserve it. What if Jesus, what if I find a way to do something really big? Would that impress you? And then, then I could receive the good things that you have to offer? Then I could receive your blessing? No. No, that, that isn't how my blessing is received. You are not righteous. You don't deserve my blessing. And yet, I am merciful in giving you better than what you deserve. That's what Jesus does. Because Jesus himself is righteous and merciful. He always does what is right. He always does what is right and yet is so tender and merciful toward us. So gracious in giving us better than what we deserve. Because just based on the merits, my sin deserves hell. The way that I have treated my God, the way I have not prioritized Him, not reflected Him well to others, not loved the way that He has loved me, not honored him as God in all places, at all times, in all ways, means that I deserve all of the punishment. I deserve to die for the way that I have acted toward my God. And instead, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give my son Jesus, and he's going to die because you deserve to. That's not fair. No, it isn't. It's better than what you deserve. And Jesus will do it because it's the right thing to do. And because he is righteous. Perfectly righteous. 
so righteous that he is also merciful. In fact, as we listen to God describe himself in Exodus 34, it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And you look at this and go, wait, I thought God was merciful. Didn't he just say he was merciful, but then he's also going to carry out this judgment? Yes, he is just. He is just. He is righteous, and he will make all things right. But he's merciful, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love and kindness. So that all who might call on him might receive his mercy rather than his judgment. And for all who will call out on him, he will put his judgment on his son instead of on us. His son who willingly accepts it in our place. You see, when when we come before God and we recognize that we lack the righteousness that we need to deserve to stand in His presence, then we realize we need so much mercy. But our tendency is to want the mercy for ourselves and then refuse to extend it to other people. We want to have mercy extended toward us, but then don't want to be merciful to others. Because do you know what they did? I mean, I want to be nice and kind and all, but come on, there are limits. And I definitely have mine. I just want to read, I'm, I'm not going to spend a long time in this, but I, Peter asked the same kind of question to Jesus. He said, um, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he told this story. He said, there was a kingdom... Therefore, the kingdom of heaven might be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That, by the way, is a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That's not likely. It's likely he will never be able to pay this debt. It's a huge debt. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found another fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. That's some money, but not a lot. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, eventually, as we preach through Matthew, we're going to get to this parable and we'll treat this more fully. But I just want to highlight the, the propensity that we have to do this very thing. To want to receive the mercy and then be very hesitant to give it to other people. Because they don't deserve it. They're against me. This doesn't mean that we have to be a doormat. It just means we have to treat people better than they deserve. We're not going to hold it against them. And again, I think of Christ being so merciful to us that he was willing to go to the cross and die on our behalf. And while he's up there, he's praying to the Father in heaven, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you know, I think that's happening so often. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even know what righteousness looks like. And that's why they're doing these things to us. And so we treat them better than they deserve. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we have blessed are those who desire righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they are going to receive mercy. Then we have blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, when we started last week and we were talking uh, uh, about these Beatitudes and we were talking about uh, the people who mourn and uh, what were the other ones? Uh, those who are poor in spirit and those who, are, who mourn and those who are meek and we would go, I don't understand, Jesus, why those people would be blessed. Now I get to this one and I go, oh yeah, this makes sense to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Yeah, those who are pure in heart, those who have the heart of gold, they will see God, that, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Here's the problem. I don't think I have a heart of gold. I wish I had a heart of gold. I wish I was pure in heart. But while righteousness was this desire to do what's right, and at times I have that, that this purity of heart is not having sin, not having anything that's corrupting it or, or making it to be foul. And I unfortunately do have a contaminated heart, right? I, I want it to be pure, but it just isn't, right? Just like, uh, just like when you, you have a piece of gold or something, you want it to be pure. Or you get a diamond. When I was going to get married and I had to go to the jeweler and they had to explain diamonds to me. I think that every guy who gets married has to go through this process because 
I don't know anything about diamonds, and then they sit you down and they go, okay, let me explain diamonds to you. Okay, because a diamond is a diamond, right? No, they all come in different shapes. They have different imperfections. They have different, uh, sometimes the angle on the cut is not exactly the way that it's supposed to be. And so what you're going for is the nicest, the nicest sized diamond that you can afford that's also cut just right so that it sparkles really well without any imperfections. But do you know what? They all have them. You look at them through a microscope and there's, there's, it's like a little thumbprint on each diamond that they're not all exactly the same. I didn't know this. You just have to learn all the different classifications of things because everything has these impurities. Well, guess what? We have these hearts and they all have these impurities. They don't sparkle and shine like they're supposed to, right? We can do like the jewelers do where they put the black velvet under them and then the special lights to shine on them and people can walk in and go, ooh, look at how that sparkles, but when you take it out from that and you look at it under the microscope, you go, oh, um, that's not the clarity I was hoping for. That's not the quality I was looking for. There are imperfections in there. And those imperfections of our heart we call sin. It's the things that we do that we shouldn't do. It's the things that we say that we shouldn't say. It's the things that we think or want that we shouldn't think or want. It's the contamination of our hearts because our hearts aren't pure. But blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So if no one qualifies, will anyone see God? This was David's question. In Psalm 51, which I read uh, before our prayer time, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He goes on, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let, not, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then this, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God, I know that I don't have a pure heart. I know that sin has gotten in there and contaminated it. And what I really need, Lord, is for you to cleanse me. And so again, we find ourselves begging on the Lord's mercy that he might wash us clean so that positionally, even if not functionally, positionally, we stand before God as those with pure hearts because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus, you see, if we don't stay centered 
on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, then what's going to happen is we're going to try to have a pure heart by not letting anything contaminate it. And you know what? You can go live in a monastery up in the hills somewhere and that sin just gets in. You can deprive yourself of whatever you want and that sin is still going to get in. It's the nature of who we are. So what we need is to just say, Lord, would you cleanse me, purify my heart, purify my heart so that then I may see you. And then we get to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who desire righteousness will have it. Those who extend mercy receive it. Those who are pure in heart will see God. And those who are peacemakers shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, as we're standing here, we have this desire for righteousness, then we have this being merciful, and so this this sort of inward, uh, within our hearts thing, and then this how we interact with other people thing. And then we have, uh, then on this foot, we have um, uh, the purity of heart, right? Those who are pure in heart are blessed, and now with this foot, we have those who are peacemakers, and we're, we're standing here. We're climbing our way to being able to to see God and being called his children. And we're standing here and we're centered right on who Jesus is and what he has done as we hold all these things in tension and say, okay, I want to be righteous and merciful. I want to be pure of heart and a peacemaker. You see, if if I'm wanting to be pure of heart, what do I do with those people who are trying to contaminate my heart? What do I do with those people who are opposed to me and against me? I make peace with them. I make peace with them. In Proverbs 16, it says, By steadfast love, this is verse 6, but I'm going to read verses 6 through 8, but I want you to pay special attention to verse 7. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When, when we are pursuing righteousness and, and pure in heart, then God makes it so that even our enemies are at peace with us. We, we want to be at peace with people. Are, are you a person of peace? Are you a peacemaker? Or are you a division inflamer? Which are you? I'll tell you what it looks like with kids. Well, he started it. Well, he did it first. Well, she didn't do it either. And what we find is that uh, we are not, by nature, peacemakers. We are blame shifters and division enhancers. 
Because when somebody does something to me or against me that I don't like, my tendency is to do something back that they won't like. Oh yeah? Well, I'll show you. We can play this game all day. You hit me, I hit you, tit for tat. Are we even yet? Are you going to cry uncle yet? We just want to dish it right back. But what God calls us to is being peacemakers, recognizing that, that these people are also created in His image. And what we want more than anything else is for us to be at peace with them and for them to be at peace with God as we find peace with God. We don't deserve it. They don't deserve it either. And yet we want to make peace. I don't mean that you need to be a meddler, right? That you need to see conflict between other people and you need to step in and make peace between them. What I'm saying is, as far as is possible with you, live at peace with all men. You live at peace with people. When they have conflict, you don't necessarily need to feel an obligation to step in there and try and stop it. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to do that sometimes, but, but that's, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is, is being at peace with other people. In, in Romans chapter 12, it says, live in harmony with, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, this is verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. My, my mom likes to tell a story about when I was little. Um, I, I had a little sister, and um, my little sister, I'm sure it was all her fault. Uh, but we would get into it quite a bit. And the story that my mom likes to tell is uh, one day we were at my grandparents' house, and we were playing on the floor, and my sister, my brother and my sister and I, and my, my grandfather was doing a crossword puzzle or something and just sort of observing and my brother and I are playing, and uh, my sister got really upset, probably, to be fair, because we were excluding her or not being kind to her. But her response was she came over, and she grabbed my hair, and she shook my head like this. And, and my grandfather is hiding behind his newspaper because he's not the parent, and he doesn't want to have to be the parent on this one, and just waiting for the reaction. And I turned, and I looked up at her, and I said, thank you very much. And she reached over and she grabbed my brother by the hair and she shook his head like this and he turned and said, thank you very much. And she went storming out of the room. And, and my mom likes to tell this story because my grandfather is hiding behind his paper just trying really hard not to let anyone know how hard he's laughing at this whole situation. But, but we want to be peacemakers, right? We want to be peacemakers. Hopefully, we don't do whatever it was that caused my sister to have that reaction in the first place, which I'm sure was my fault. 
But after the fact, even having instigated it myself, I'm sure, to have the response of, okay, I'm going to extend mercy and give you better than what you deserve so as to live at peace with you. Blessed are those kinds of people. Blessed are those kinds of people because they shall be called children of God. Why? Why will they be called children of God? When you're making peace with other people. Well, I think of the Son of God. The Son of God, Jesus, the great peacemaker. Who, seeing these enemies of God, said, what I'm going to do is I am going to cause a way for there to be peace and reconciliation between those who are my enemies and myself. And so we find all the way that in our pursuit of righteousness and our desire to extend mercy and our having a pure heart and being a peacemaker, we find ourselves having to stay centered on who Jesus is. Because we want these blessings and we recognize that at no point do we deserve them. And so we have to stay centered on who Jesus is so that categorically we might be considered these people and we might be growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus and modeling the characteristics that he has and he displays and then receiving the blessings of being able to see God and being called his children. Let's praise him for that together. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for offering a Savior to cleanse us from our sin. Lord, we desire what is right, and we desire to have pure hearts, and we know that we cannot do these things on our own. And so, Lord, we thank you that when you saw our need, you have offered us a Savior who takes our punishment and the things that we deserve upon himself so that we might receive your mercy and be called your children. We praise you for this in his name. Amen.